June 10th, 1829. The first boat race between Cambridge and Oxford takes place, which leads to the development of the sports monocle. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. <laughs> Already, we're laughing. We have such a good time at yeah. the Revisionist. Oh, such a good time! Almost with our hilarious, up my own name. our hilarious intro. The name of our podcast is a laugh fucking riot. <laughs> no, it wasn't even the podcast. It was my own name. I fucked up, basically. Yeah, almost fucked up, but then I corrected. What'd you uh, What'd you say? Uh, I I said Brian Flynn. I was veering off in a weird direction, though. But uh, I think we I, we agree. The revisionist is hilarious. It just proves Malcolm Gladwell can't tell a joke because he went with revisionist history. What the fuck is that? Revisionist <laughs> history. That is not a joke. You fucked up the delivery, Gladwell. Again. Fucking Gladwell. Uh, someone tagged us. Uh, in a photo of Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, and I'm just like, nope, that's a photo we of are... the podcast. Were they like yeah, holding just, up just... their iPhone with the cover art? No, from just Malcolm like the Gladwell fucking, just like the like, logo. <laughs> I guess met Malcolm Gladwell's podcast on the subway today. <laughs> well, I was just shitting in a bag. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of New York City, we have a <laughs> we have a great show uh, for you tonight with. Uh, a fabulous, fabulous comic who is from uh, Colorado and New York at the same time. I don't know why I said it like that. It's also I am it's so many recording. Right now. We just talked about Doctor Who, and I was going to continue that riff, but I realized it happened off, <laughs> off mic, so never mind. Okay, I'm glad we brought it up though. Uh, <laughs> please welcome to the show the fantastic, fantastic Brett Hiker. Hello, kids. Brett, thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm stoked for this. Um, especially, I will just say this up front. Uh, we gave you some very short notice for this one. Uh, we did. We had some scheduling difficulties again this week, but we... Uh, you could have said that at the end, you know, if it goes real bad. Be like, I just want to remind all the folks back home. <laughs> oh, no, oh, we I get, will we, say it multiple we can say it times again, yeah. throughout, throughout my thing. Usually we say it even when everything went smoothly, just as an excuse in Shut case up. things Shut go up. bad. Shut up. <laughs> We had very little time to put together our three-year anniversary show. We're very new at this, to quote Paul Ryan today. If it's a shitty episode, we just record us saying, oh, we had no time to prepare and slot in it at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's just a standard just a standard version of me saying that over some stock music. Um, but, Zach, uh, you're going to be uh, judging and officiating this episode, so if you want to take it away. Yeah, uh, if you are a first-time listener to this here podcast, <laughs> um, the basic idea is, uh, over the next 45 minutes or so, you will we will discuss a person from history. One uh, of my co-hosts will give the real account. In this case, I think that's going to be Brett. And one person, uh, I think in this case, Brian, will give a bullshit, bananas, batshit, crazy alternate version mm-hmm. of that person's uh, life. And at the end, I, and I think now also some of our listeners, will be able to vote on what becomes the actual history going forward. Yes, uh, yes indeed. So the uh, the verdict at the end of the episode will only be uh, Zach's vote, which still counts. Uh, but then one of our... I am pa- not a felon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Uh, one of our uh, Patreon reward tiers is that people get to uh, vote on the outcomes of episodes. And so there's enough people doing that now that we will be doing that. So mazel tov. Anyway. Do, do I get a vote? Well, no, uh, since you're presenting a since you're presenting a history, you don't get to vote. It's assumed you vote for your own. <laughs> um, right, but well. I don't. You might be very selfless. I want to point out too that if it, if it sounds like I have a cat in my lap right now, I do not. It is a chinchilla. <laughs> uh, Just a shade the, the of folks difference. back home. The classic What's sound of having a cat in, in one's lap. <laughs> uh, Willow. That's Willow. Willow. All right. Willow's the one Willow who the chinchilla. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. um, just to finish off old business, last time we talked about, uh, what was that horrible racist name again? Um, uh, Henry Morton Stanley. Henry Morton Stanley, that's right. And uh, I believe we ended up going with the alternate version of mm-hmm. his life, which predicts that in the future, there will be some kind of race war. And Henry Morton Stanley was one of, I think, 316 people who got sent back in time to mm-hmm. try and rig the results of the race war by finding a super rare, like, uh, I guess, element, I think it was. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Trinium. Relics. Yeah, yeah. Tr- trillium. Uh, that's, trillium. Uh, that's, of course, Jason Key's story. Uh, so, again, thank you, Jason, for that. And what was his name? Morton Downey Jr.? <laughs> Morton Downey. Yeah, it was uh, Robert Downey Jr. Of course, horrible racist time traveler. Willow. Sorry, Willow is uh, <laughs> all over Brett. Um, but yes, Brett, you are doing the, uh, the actual history. Uh, yeah. So whenever you're ready, if you want to go ahead and take it away. Okay, so the subject is George Washington Williams. Oh, did I not say that? Oh, I had yeah, one job. We didn't job say it, didn't say it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're flying very loose tonight. I mean, d- d- does it really matter who says it? I mean, you guys weren't going to explain who he was, right? Because that would ruin my portion of the show. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah well, I'll just, just give explain. you. I'll let you have all the surprises about this particular person, <laughs> <laughs> even though his name will be the episode title. <laughs> George Washington Williams. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh... Okay, so his backstory is he was born in 1849 in Pennsylvania uh, to parents who were former slaves that were freed uh, when Pennsylvania banned slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the oldest of four children. His brothers were John, Thomas, and Harry. Uh, he had a limited education and a stint in a house of refuge where he learned barbering. Uh, so that, that that's occupation number one. Let's count these, all right? Yeah. Barber, number one. Uh, Very... Very basic, like, good job to fall back on. Yeah, and then he enlisted in the Union Army under oh, when he was only 14, mm. under an assumed name. So so he was a barber before age 14. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was people trusting a 12-year-old uh, to cut their hair. Yeah, he was uh, the subject of uh, a Dickens serial, uh, George Williams' <laughs> child barber. <laughs> they I say when can... you're young, it's easier to learn the language of hair. <laughs> once you're after a certain age, it's nearly impossible. Yeah, of course. That's why uh, your hair falls out and turns gray. You, you forget how to speak to it as you grow older <laughs> of course you can't lure it back onto your head yeah using the the classic children's prayer that every night they use <laughs> of course we are all in our late 20s or early 30s and have forgotten this prayer of course 
<laughs> That's why, of course, children, best hair. Yeah. That's, that's they win slogan. the best hair award every year. <laughs> Children. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so yeah, so he was a soldier in the Civil War. After that, he went to Mexico and joined the Republican Army. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say soldier occupation number two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. soldier two. A uh, child soldier. Kind of. well, yeah, no, yeah, child soldier. Yeah, by uh, our standards, too. Yeah. Under the command of General Espinoza, he's fighting to overthrow Emperor Maximilian. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. that's a crazy story in and of itself, which we will get. But basically, he was like the sort of shitty son of a German emperor, uh, German or French, uh, who they basically were like, you can rule Mexico and just send him away. And he died in a civil war in Mexico. Have you guys done him? Not yet. Nope. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a really insane story. Uh... Okay, so then, so he received commission as lieutenant, learned some Spanish, and got a reputation as a good gunner. Mm. Uh, which I mean, to to get a reputation as a good gunner, you also got to be a pretty good ducker, or else you just don't <laughs> you don't stick around. I mean, that that's long. how that's how war happens. <laughs> yeah, it goes <laughs> the old gun and duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, it's like dodgeball. If you can't dodge, how good, how useful is your throw going to be? Yeah, at the end of the day. Ball. Yeah. Uh, so he was with the army for five years, served in Indian territory, uh, which is where this podcast is being recorded, mm. I believe, is Indian territory. I mean, the whole of the United States. <laughs> fair, fair enough. enough. <laughs> uh, once back in civilian life, the young veteran decided, decided to attend college and was accept, accepted to Howard University, a historically mm. black college. He's black, by the way. Mm. Uh, that's very key to this, uh, to his story, uh, in, in D.C. He didn't stay there very long and began studies at Newton Theological Institution uh, mm. and became the first African-American graduate there. Uh, met Sarah A. Starrett during his visit to Chicago. They were married and had one son together. Uh, after graduation, Williams was ordained as hey. a Baptist minister. He went from Indian country to Chicago, just like somebody else I know. I was going to try and think of somebody who's not me, but I, I, okay, I yeah. failed to do right. it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like somebody else I know. Uh, so so we're up to now. He's got barber, soldier, and Baptist minister. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yeah, he had, he had the support of Frederick Douglass, uh, William Lloyd Garrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, he founded The Commoner, a monthly journal in, in D.C., uh, so he was now the editor of a of a magazine, if you will. Uh, that's occupation number four. Uh, yep. Then he moved to Ohio and studied law under Alfonso Taft, mm-hmm. uh, who is the father of, of President Taft. Uh, Old Taft Daddy. Yeah, yeah. Big Daddy Taft. That's what so he was now, called. Even before he had a son, he was called <laughs> Old Taft Daddy. <laughs> so now we, we can add lawyer to that. Yep. Uh, and that, that law degree led him to becoming the first black uh elected to the to the ohio state legislature so now he's a politician as well mm-hmm. served uh, there for two years i believe uh <laughs> sure uh <laughs> well, Sorry. It, it, it says one term 1880 to 1881 so oh okay yeah um in 1885 which he never served. I don't know. He just never showed up to work for that yeah, job. Yeah, uh, 
But uh, he already had five jobs. He had so many jobs. He had so many barbering appointments. Uh, <laughs> he was still barbering at this point. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it's a passion. His wife was on his ass about, like, you should be driving an Uber on the side. <laughs> yeah, an Uber was just a horse at the time. <laughs> oh, hang on. Here's my Uber. Leaps on top of a horse. Uh, 1888, he became a foreign delegate uh, and wrote a few books. Uh like history books. I mean, it became like his, the thing he was most obsessed about it eventually was he became a historian. So that's occupation number 26. Uh, <laughs> and then the big thing that he did is that in 1889, uh, he was uh, he went to the Congo Free State, uh, as it was called mm-hmm. at the time, uh, before Michael Crichton changed it to just Congo. Uh, <laughs> Also, uh, Congo Free State, we did touch on some of the horrific things that happened there in the last episode. Oh, uh, really? In the last episode? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you guys doing like a whole Congolese section of... Well, right now we're doing a few episodes on uh, uh, like second wave colonialism uh, as a lead into talking about World War I. But I and, d- uh, we are, this section of the podcast is being sponsored by the Congo remake. So yes, we are <laughs> intentionally every story... <laughs> Is going to have Are some kind really of tie-in. Congo remake? Uh, they're not, but uh, interesting enough is the the last Tarzan movie that came out mm-hmm. had George Washington Williams in it, played by yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Uh, so he knew Tarzan. Uh, <laughs> someone's already done a revisionist history on this. So you guys got to top that. Someone made a Hollywood well, blockbuster. Given the Rotten Tomatoes score, it should not be difficult to top that. <laughs> uh yeah, so he he went to Congo and saw all the horrible things going on there, and then wrote this very famous open letter to the king of Belgium, who, uh, who the, the Belgian had had had, had colonized, had colonized, had, had colonized. <laughs> it started a Congo line in Congo. Uh, no, they'd colonized it, and they were. Uh, well, here's the thing: is it's the most interesting facts I have. Were all the horrible things in oh, Congo? Oh well, I mean, we could we could start recounting some of the horrible things he because they are. Relevant, relevant and worth remembering. Okay, and if I re- repeat something you guys already said, just go, I know, next. <laughs> all right? We cool with this? All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, like, this, is, this is an excerpt from his letter where he talks about just kind of like the first encounters uh, these these tribesmen had with white people coming through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, I'm just going to read it word for word. He goes, there were instances in which Mr. Mr. Henry M. Stanley sent one white man with four or five Zanzibar soldiers to make treaties with native chiefs. The staple argument was that the white man's heart had grown sick of the wars and rumors of war between one chief and another, between one village and another, that the white man was at peace with his black brother and desired to confederate all African tribes for the general defense and public welfare. And then (laughs) all the sleight-of-hand tricks had been carefully rehearsed, and he was now ready for his work. A number of electric batteries had been purchased in London, and when attached to the arm under the coat, communicated with a band of ribbon which passed over the palm of the white brother's hand. And when he gave the black brother a cordial grasp of the hand, mm-hmm. the black brother was greatly surprised to find the white man's brother so strong. So was he shocking them? Yeah, he was. Yeah, that's a thing that they would do with a lot of. They would like basically shock people when they shook hands with them just to Show try to make them think they were. To, so ma- you, to like big tie them to like do that thing. Basically, it's the same the thing Trump, hand Trump thing. does yeah. where he pulls people in really hard. Did yeah. you guys talk about this already? 
Uh, no, no, no. no. I, did, I'm, I didn't I hear about this. From, uh, from one of the books I read about. To be honest, I thought this was going to end up being some kind of horrible Joker-esque death trap for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so greatly surprised to find his white brother so strong that he nearly knocked him off his feet in giving him the hand of fellowship. When the native inquired about the disparity of strength between himself and his white brother, he was told the white man could pull up trees and perform the most prodigious feats of strength. Next came the lens act. The white brother <laughs> took from his pocket a cigar, carelessly bit off the end, held up the glass to the sun, and, and complacently smoked his cigar to the great amazement and terror of his black brother. The white man explained his intimate relation to the sun and declared that if he were to request him to burn up his black brother's village, it would be done. Jesus Christ, yeah. The oh. third act was the gun trick. The, the white man took a percussion cap gun, tore the end of paper, which held the powder to the bullet, and poured the powder and paper into the gun, at the same time slipping the bullet into the sleeve of the left arm. A cap was placed under the nipple of the gun, and the black brother was implored to step off 10 yards and shoot at his white brother to demonstrate <laughs> his statement that he was a spirit and therefore could not be killed. Yeah. After much begging, the black brother aims the gun at his white brother, pulls the trigger. The gun is discharged. The white man stoops, takes the bullet from his shoe. I imagine every... Did every negotiation have to be scored by the final countdown? Is that, like, kind of part of the negotiation tactic? (laughs) Wait, Zach, you were breaking up. What was that? Oh, I asked if every one of these negotiations had to be scored to the tune of the final countdown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like like Judge Harry, like, fucking close-up magic. He had a bunch of, like, white tigers behind him as he's doing it, and just, uh... Uh... Then in the last part of this, he says, By such means as these, too silly and disgusting to mention, and a few boxes of gin, whole villages have been signed away to your majesty. Mm. Yeah, to, to you, king. Yeah. Uh, now, this must be a fun podcast, so stop me if they start getting too horrific, because... <laughs> I mean, the podcast, the episode on Stanley itself uh, was got unimaginable. The- <laughs> it was so bad. It was so horrific. Okay. It wasn't bad. It was just, like, very brutal because it's, yes. it's a very brutal subject it's hard to it's hard to just be like all dicks so, and butts about it for instance your story is conspicuously free of say murder so far so, so it's far. pretty mild comparatively speaking we're coming up on the murder section <laughs> the requisite murder section i yeah. bring out the murder book clunk flip 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 flip, flip. <laughs> turns key and lo- unlocks book uh, it's just the next paragraph, so I'm going to start reading okay. it. Feel free to chime okay. in at any point, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Your Majesty's government has been and is now guilty of waging unjust and cruel wars against natives with the hopes of securing slaves and women to minister to the behest of the officers of your government. In such slave-hunting raids, one village is armed by the state against the other, and the force thus secured is incorporated with the regular troops. I have no adequate terms with with which to depict to your majesty the brutal acts of your soldiers upon such raids as these. The the soldier who opened the soldiers who open the combat are usually the bloodthirsty cannibalistic Bengalas who give no quarter to the aged grandmother or nursing child at the breast of its mother. There are instances in which they have brought the heads of the victims to the to the white officers in their in the steamers and afterwards eaten the bodies of slain children. In one war, two Belgian army officers saw from the deck of their steamer 
a native in a canoe in a canoe some distance away. He was not a combatant and was ignorant of the conflict and progress upon the shore some distance away. The officer made a wager of five pounds that they could hit the native with their rifles. Three shots were fired and the native fell dead. Pierced mm. through the head and the trade canoe was transformed into a funeral barge and floated down the river. Uh, this might be a good time to point out that a lot of the events that happened in the Belgian Congo were the inspiration for the book Heart of Darkness, which was the inspiration for Apocalypse Now, if any of this sounds... Uh, depressingly familiar. And then uh, the other thing was just like what what happened. I started reading more about uh, about the Congolese uh, 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 humanitarian disaster. And uh, what happened was so the 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 king more or less had a had a mm. quota for how much rubber wanted to be collected. That was mm. the big export, I believe, in the Tarzan movie. They changed it to diamonds. Yeah, I believe. So. Well, it. Uh, it started ivory. It started out uh, with ivory, but once like vulcanized rubber and tires became like a huge commodity, yeah. then they and once they realized that rubber trees grew, you know, all over the Congo, then yeah, rubber became the main thing. So, so they had these... uh, and also the Tarzan movie might not be the most <laughs> accurate <laughs> reference point for some of these things. Listen, if you guys have any questions about any of this, please check out Tarzan. <laughs> yeah. uh, fantastic film. By the way, our our guest Alexander Skarsgård. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so they had these rubber quotas that were just kind of like insane that they couldn't really fill, uh, and if you couldn't fill them, you were punished by death. And the way that you had to prove prove that, that you had killed these slaves for not getting enough rubber was to uh, present their hands, was to cut mm-hmm. their hands off and, uh, and, and give it to someone. Uh, and sometimes the hands were collected by the soldiers of the force public, sometimes by the villages themselves. Mm-hmm. There were even small wars where villages attacked neighboring villages to gather hands since the rubber quotas were too unrealistic to fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, this one person tells a story of... Uh, uh, what is this person? Oh, Leon F- Fives. He says, All blacks saw this man as the devil of the equator. Mm-hmm. From all the bodies killed in the field, you had to cut off the hands. He wanted to see the number of hands cut off by each soldier who had to bring them to, in baskets. A village was refused to provide rubber would be completely swept clean. Mm-hmm. As a young man, I saw this guy uh, then guarding the village of Boreca, take a net, put 10 na- arrested natives in it, attach big stones to the net, and make it tumble into the river. Uh, rubber caused these torments. That's why we no longer want to hear his name spoken. Soldiers made young men kill or rape their own mothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, Name of rubber. Going back to Leon, uh, one of the prototype characters for Colonel Kurtz from uh, Apocalypse Now. Oh, really? Heart of Darkness. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. One of the the rumored... His name was Kurtz in Heart of Darkness, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was. Okay. Um... Uh, but yeah, and this is like so. This is the environment that Williams is like going in and writing this very public letter. Well, he's still like in the middle of the colony, and like is still requiring like the aid of the Belgians basically to be able to travel. Yeah, not a yeah, lot of people know that the classic children's argument "I'm rubber, you're glue" was originally coined to describe how horrible different humanitarian uh, <laughs> catastrophes were. We'll get to the glue catastrophe oh, in due time. I was oh, when Jesus. you were setting up that joke, I was so skeptical, <laughs> but boy howdy, did that! <laughs> that is some good soup. 
Um, okay. <laughs> that is that not a saying? Good I, soup? It's yeah. fine. I've never heard it. Okay, well then. Yeah, that's what you want to hear at any comedy show. It's the classic <laughs> refrain from the audience. That is good soup. <laughs> it's a regional thing. It's a, I think it's a New England thing. <laughs> uh, so, uh, that's more or less it. So he, 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 he wrote this open letter about all this stuff and had it published. And it kind of put some heat on the Belgian king to clean up his uh, his colonies, uh, which he didn't, uh, which kind of pissed off uh, uh, George Washington Williams. Mm-hmm. But it eventually was like had the first step to like a longer process. But George Washington uh, Williams died and was n- never able to see any sort of progress whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that's the story, more or less. <laughs> yeah. And now Brian's going to make that fun. Uh, well, yeah, very... We'll inspiring early life and then went to the most depressing place conceivable and died. Yeah, these colonialism episodes don't end well, like even for the even for the heroes. Um yeah, and I will again preface my alternate history by saying very short notice. Um, yeah, when a few episodes ago, I'm just saying like, we were like, oh, we have to do a new section, and we decided to flip a coin between colonialism and history's greatest parties, and it just, <laughs> we came up on the wrong side on that one. <laughs> well, because all Tur- I could think of was the Monster Bash. Which, yeah. <laughs> Turned out which, colonialism was the world's greatest party for some. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I thought about doing a revisionist, and my, the only idea I could come up with is just like, the, the exact same story, but <laughs> but he wears a funny hat the entire time. Like oh, a real, holy A real shit. silly Carmen oh, Miranda Jesus hat. Spoilers. Uh, That's, so That's so close to mine. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'll shut up then. <laughs> silly hats. E- easy writing trope. What if instead of George Washington Williams, his name was George Washington Hats? I think it'd <laughs> yeah. go a little something like this. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Um... Okay, so uh, our story starts, uh, as all stories do, uh, in heaven. Um, and God one day was not super on point, uh, not like a, a good day for God. It wasn't on brand. No, no, just super. Uh, it was sort of like God's self-care day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the spirit that was supposed to be inserted into America's first president um, was channeled in instead into a different child uh this is the story that george washington williams was told by his mother uh ellen williams who uh gave george a special triangle hat (laughs) and told him that the power of george washington was trapped inside of it um so even in his uh early years in barber school uh when the other kids would make fun of him for his quote very silly hat um, I don't know why I needed to quote that again. I wrote this in like an hour. Yeah, I mean that's a real the slams that children come up with. Your hat is very silly. Was was Frosty the Snowman playing in the background as you thought of this? Yeah, right. Yeah, it was just as soon as the magic hat was placed on his head. <laughs> Fuck, I wasn't even thinking of Frosty. Shit. Um. The, the spirit of George Washington uh, made George Washington Williams 
uh, discover the perseverance he had inside to continue and like finish his schooling. Uh, and then he enlisted in the Union Army, uh, and he was just a scared 14-year-old, as you would be. Uh, and when the general told him that his hat wasn't regulation, uh, he decided to carry it around in his rucksack. Uh, and he believed it was the hat which gave him the courage to fight the war. Uh, I have something here in my notebook that says describe the hat, but I didn't write anything after that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> tricorder? I mean, how much tricorder, more do you need? Uh, felt. Was there a feather Amazing, in his head? Like, uh, yes, there was a feather. Um, of what bird? Uh, a, a golden eagle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that he got nice. himself. Yeah. Did he call it macaroni as uh, they were <laughs> wont to do at the as time? As was the fashion at the time, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have sufficiently described the hat. Um, I mean, it could be, do the adjectives amazing and technicolor describe the hat? Uh, no, I mean, it was 1830, so it was kind of just like drab, blue felt. What size yeah. was the hat? 14. 14. Mm. So was it real big on him when he was young? Yeah, he grew into it. Oh, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, when he studied under uh, Taft's dad, uh, he would like fall asleep on a hat during study breaks. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm still having a little trouble picturing the hat. Was there a card that said press sticking out of it? Or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, eventually, yeah. When he was like, re- when oh, he was right. writing and reporting, he put, each yeah. of his occupations, he-, he added something to the hat. Yeah, you could put all sorts of things in a hat. He was quoted as saying while in Congo, "What a scoop." <laughs> Yeah, when he was a barber, he kept of his course, scissors in the hat. It's worth noting that in the Congo at the time, scooping was a popular form of torture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a scoop. Oh, millions died. Um, so, uh, of course, during all this time, uh, he's achieving great things. Uh, but George Washington's hat was constantly eating away at him. Uh, and it like ate away at his ability to take any pride in his accomplishments or feel like confident that he was able to do these things uh but meanwhile people are noticing him uh he his like his two most famous books were uh a history of african americans uh from like 1609 to 1880 basically in two volumes uh he won a claim for that and he goes to the white house uh to meet with chester a arthur uh, who is now remembered uh, mainly as the president who met George Washington Williams, actually. Is it, really? <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, uh, he he brought the hat. Um, there were... Uh, and this was a time when there were different stories circulating about the Congo and uh, King. what King Leopold was trying to sell, like what he was doing there. Uh, and he was saying it was a great place where... Uh, he was bringing like Christianity and civilization to to Central Africa, um, and this being 1889, uh, George Washington Williams views it as his chance to educate the people there in his own way. Uh, so he goes to King Leopold to get permission I, to visit. Well, go ahead, Zach. Oh, I was just gonna say for context. Chester A. Arthur was the guy who took over after Garfield was assassinated. So that's probably what you know him from. If you have yeah. ever a Chester A. Arthur trivia night, 
That's probably the only... <laughs> the most poorly attended bar trivia night. It's just one PhD candidate drinking in a corner. He was sworn in at a brownstone in New York that's like a Chinese restaurant now, I think. <laughs> so appropriate. Yeah. Um, uh, I think he did have pretty severe mutton chops. Yeah, it was very fashionable at the time, actually. Yeah. He was actually considered very fashionable. <laughs> uh, so Williams goes to King Leopold to get permission to visit the Congo. Uh, and the permission is rejected, but he goes anyway. Uh, I can't believe I even wrote this next part down. Uh, he tells a friend, quote, this hat's got some balls, uh, end quote. Um, he, uh, he goes there and... He encounters the horror of the Congo and everything that's happening there that we've described in the last couple episodes. And uh, it it changes him. Uh, and like deep, deep in the heart of the Belgian Congo and at great risk to himself, William sits down to write his open letter to King Leopold. Um, and while he's doing that, a breeze kicks up and blows his hat away. Uh, and he's bereft for a few minutes, and he doesn't know how he's supposed to compose this letter and how he's going to go on, but he also knows he must. Uh, and so pushing through his doubts, uh, he begins writing, and that's when he realizes the truth that the magic hat was just a gag, uh, and the real power was, uh, was him all along. Uh, so it's like a Dumbo's feather situation, basically. Uh, that's the whole thing I based that on. Uh, and that's the, again, doesn't really change the Much. things he did. It just adds a little, uh, a little zazz to the story. You know, so. <laughs> I, I, I want to revise that in itself and just be like, and then they double checked and the hat was magic. Yeah. Like, yeah he deserves no credit. We should be talking about the hat the entire time. Yeah. The, that's the real hero here. I didn't, I didn't want well, to take maybe, that away from him. Maybe the hat wasn't initially magic, but by spending so much time, he <laughs> made the hat magic. Ah. So it wasn't the hat that gave him the power, but he slowly imbued the hat with a magical yeah, cool. power. I like that. We can go with that. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zach, before we get to your judgment, uh, real quick, as always, uh, you can... Keep in touch with us via our website, revisionistpodcast.com. And uh, you can rate and review the podcast on iTunes, which is super helpful to us. And always reach out to us on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And uh, I mentioned before our Patreon page, which helps support the show. Uh, I've mentioned on the last few episodes that we have been having some equipment uh, issues. And so that's something we're going to try to invest in very soon. Uh, and any support you could possibly throw that way would be insane, and thank you. Um, Brett, I didn't ask you this before we started, but do you have anything you'd like to plug? Ooh, plugs, huh? Mm. Uh, yeah, we are bringing Comedian's Power Hour to Boulder for the first time ever. Oh, nice. Uh, taking over the, the Sunday Boulder Comedy Show and doing a doubleheader Comedian's Power Hour there. When uh, is that? That'll be June 25th. June 25th. Okay. Yeah, and if you guys don't know what, can I pitch Power Hour real quick? Yeah, do it. All right, so the whole premise of the, of the show that I run, uh, 
It's much like the drinking game, Power Hour, where you take a shot of beer every minute for an hour. Uh, we have two comics go on stage, and they, uh, they, they go back and forth doing two-minute sets. But every time that you switch out comics, they both take a double shot of beer. Mm-hmm. And then as they get drunker and drunker, we throw in just random challenges like, now do two minutes of each other's jokes. And then they get <laughs> even drunker and like, now for the next two minutes, you have to give each other a best man speech. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, uh, you know, then we, we, it, it gets crazier and crazier and just we, we, we have them do shit. That yeah. are, it's very difficult. And for eventually it just becomes like a saw challenge where they <laughs> have to cut off their hands. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, like this is the wrong episode to say cut off your hand. I actually yeah, yeah, want to well, do like jaw it's trap. <laughs> yeah. It's top. Uh, who are the who are the comedians who are going to be on it? Uh, our lineup is, is yet to be uh, finalized. But that's that's an awesome show, and that's going to be up in Boulder. Uh, go check that out. Um, Zach, did you want to mention anything? Uh, well, Stage of Fools is still on hiatus, but the entire back catalog is on iTunes if you want to check it out before the new season, which will probably be in a few months. Awesome. Uh, as for me, uh, I'll just mention that Nighttime Tonight, uh, which Brett did last month and yeah, was hilarious. It was, it was a hoot. Um, uh, is happening June 15th. Uh, so the Thursday after this is released and it happens the third Thursday of every month. So come check that out. Uh, but Zach, if you're ready to cast your vote in the judgment. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the ones where the alternate is very, hems very close to the real history, probably for the best, uh, in this case. But, uh, I do like the, uh, concept of the, I just like this goofy hat. And in fact, because we described it so much. <laughs> that's a lot of the charm of this hat. And uh, I also like to think that there's um, an additional scene. First, I like to imagine that as a young child in very childish handwriting, he wrote George on the inside of the hat. And I like to imagine mm-hmm. that years later, by pure happenstance, he found it with another child. And it was like the end of Toy Story 3 where he gave it away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is So that, the hat continues on. Yeah, it continues its journeys possibly to this day um for that reason i think i'm gonna go with the alternate this time all right well brett thank you for being here and thank you for filling in on short notice again ah whatever (laughs) listeners uh anytime you get a chance to check out brett uh it's so so worth it uh he's hilarious so do that whether uh you are in denver or elsewhere uh but i think that'll do it for this episode yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's it's unanimous. That'll I think do it. Ask me a question, like, I don't know. Do you guys have an outro? This ain't my podcast. <laughs> Resolved. No, we just ask our guest and each other if that'll do it for this episode. <laughs> we take a vote. Uh, for everyone here at the Revisionist, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time. Yeah.